Of late, global conversations have been rife of why is Africa struggling the way it is currently struggling. Is Africa a continent that is poor by design or it's just poor because the continent was designed and designated to be poor? Now, if you look at statistics, Africa is one of the richest continent in terms of natural resources. It also has the youngest population globally, which means that there is so much potential in terms of labor and growth of different sectors. If you look at also how technology is coming up, many of the technological inventions now are being born in Africa. Financial transactions digitally were born in Kenya before they were popular any other place in the world. So why is Africa perpetually poor? Africa is poor by design and the design was tailor-made by the West. Because we have entered a new era of neocolonialism where colonialism has managed to wear disguises, it is disguised, but our resources are still exploited and owned. First of all, they are owned by the giant multinational corporations of the West, from the colonial metropolis, and they are exploited, not for the benefit of our people, but they are exploited in order to enlarge the, the, the bank accounts of the multinational corporations. And this is the African paradox. Hi there, how are you doing? Welcome to another episode of our conversations. My name is Indira Ganga. If you're new here, welcome. I come on here to talk about matters, Africa, black people, black empowerment, and how we can rise up to the opportunity and take our rightful place at the global table. Today, I want us to have a conversation around a very interesting speech that I bumped into online. One thing that always mesmerizes me is every day that I do my research in terms of just my journalism work and also creating content for the Africa Diaspora News channel, I'm always bumping into new Africans that I did not know about, that are very vocal about issues, that bring to light issues that I did not know exist, but have been perpetuated over and over again and continue to hold the, um, the continent part. And in listening to this speech, one thing that stood out very, very, very clearly, he was very crisp in talking about Africa and the place that it is and how it has been designed to fail, not because the continent has no hope or can never grow and thrive on its own, but because if it does, it's at the expense of a particular group of people. For example, Africa is rich in natural resources, but who do these resources benefit? When it comes to elections, they're heavily influenced by the West. All these things have been made to work in favor of one person at the expense of Africans. For as long as the interest of the West is taken care of, they don't care at what expense go ahead and do it for as long as our interests are well taken care of. Africa is by far the richest continent on earth. Africa practically has everything. Intelligent human beings, strong human beings. We have many, many rivers, rivers crisscrossing the continent. We have diamond, we have gold, we have bauxite, we have oil, we have gas, we have uranium lithium, everything. Dense forests. We are surrounded by the sea and, and so on. And Africa is such a beautiful place. And yet the African people are so very poor. Our poverty and underdevelopment in part can be explained by our history. We were enslaved 
We went through the transatlantic slave trade where our people were captured as beasts of burden and made to work for hundreds of years without pay. And the people who were captured by these European adventurists were largely the best on our continent. The young ones, the architects, the doctors, the engineers, and so on. These were the people from our continent who were captured in their millions to work the fields in North America, to work the fields in the Caribbean, to work the fields in Europe, in order to create the basis for the development of Western capitalism. So this is the paradox. Now, we also went into a period of classical colonialism. And under classical colonialism, we were even denied the right to choose our own leaders. The head of state of Ghana, for example, was the Queen of England. The Queen of England appointed all public officials, and we had no say in that. Now, we waged a relentless and courageous struggle against colonialism, and we won the battle against colonialism with the help of our friends. And our friends included China. Our friends included the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, and so on. And eventually, we won the battle against classical colonialism. But we are still not free. Now, there's something that baffles me and also just is always surprising to very many people when they find out how much wealth in terms of natural resources that Africa has. But, but the catch is always the continent continues to grapple with poverty. So why the disconnect? Why is it that a place that has gold, that has timber, that has diamonds, that has oil, biggest producer of cocoa, 70% of cocoa comes from the continent, Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana, you know? Why is it that we are perpetually poor? Why is it that our resources are not helping our people? They're not trickling down and changing the lives and livelihoods of the people that have those resources. I'll give you a practical example. Zimbabwe has is rich in terms of gold. This, Zimbabwe should be one of the richest countries on the continent, if we're being very honest, but their gold is not theirs. Yes, they're scrupulous people that do deals here and there, but their natural resources are not helping them. Look at the DRC Congo, one of the richest African countries in terms of natural resources, but, but DRC, majority of their people live in poverty. Why is that? The answer is simple. Greedy multinationals. They will ensure that they make their profits at any cost. And when I say at any cost, it means they will dupe you in the boardroom. And if they have to create chaos and destabilize the economy so that they can do what they're doing and keep making their profits without having to pay or bear the brunt of the business that they do on the continent in terms of paying taxes, corporate social responsibility, paying people and paying them all, the rates at which you pay your experts when they're working here, giving the locals fair terms, ensuring that you do no harm to the environment, then it would be so costly for them. And to them, profit matters, profit before people. And so it's high time we discuss the dynamic between multinationals and perpetually keeping Africa poor. Because we have entered a new era of neocolonialism, where colonialism has managed to wear disguises. It is disguised. But our resources are still exploited and owned. 
First of all, they are owned by the giant multinational corporations of the West, from the colonial metropolis, and they exploited, not for the benefit of our people, but they exploited in order to enlarge the, the, the bank accounts of the multinational corporations. And this is the African paradox. Listening to all these sentiments, you then wonder, why are we still here? 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years after independence, why are we still having this same conversation? It's because we need to start pushing for responsibility, one, accountability, and then justice. You need to acknowledge that you're responsible, then take accountability, and then we need to start a conversation of what does justice look like? For example, in the case of multinationals, justice looks like corporate social responsibility. Part of your profits need to go into developing the communities that you are making your millions of dollars from. It also means that you have to employ locals and ensure that there's knowledge transfer between your skilled labor that you bring into the country and the local people. It looks like fair wages. It looks like fair treatment. It looks like taking care of the environment. When I was in school, um, there's this uh, unit we did. It was called... Um, media and conflict and part of, of of our assignments was watching some documentaries on um big multinationals that drill oil in west africa the saddest part about it was um the fact that these multinationals just they don't care about the environment they really don't the water is not safe for drinking it's polluted it's um it has chemicals and we know what does that does to the system and it wasn't just a movie it's stuff that has been written about if you are a reader go and look for chimeka garrick's book tomorrow died yesterday you will get to understand why um holding multinationals accountable and making them pay for what they're doing to the environment or ensuring that they do not ruin the environment around them because these people have the privilege of going back to the US and UK and Germany and France, but this land belongs to people who will live there years and years after. So what happens when you pollute the environment for profits? Well, to start with, we are not blaming others. We are fighting for our freedom. And fighting for our freedom is not blaming others. We are in chains. We want to break those chains so that we can liberate ourselves, so that we can go out there and realize our full potential like all human beings. We are not making demands which are unreasonable. We demand that we are able to govern ourselves. That's a demand that all reasonable human beings anywhere in the world, whether they are Africans, Europeans, Chinese, or whatever, is a legitimate demand. We demand that what is embedded in our soil should belong to us. And we demand that what is embedded in our soils should be exploited and used in order to provide better housing for our people, in order to provide better healthcare for our people, in order to provide relevant education for our people, and so on. These are legitimate demands of all people anywhere in the world. So we are simply not blaming others. Our reality is that we have become the beast of burden for capitalism. And that's a reality we can't run away from. Look, we produce a lot of gold. And until recently when the dollar became a worthless paper, gold was the main mineral which backed the currency. 
and yet our currencies are fluctuating. Our currencies have become worthless as compared to the dollar and so on, in relation to the dollar and so on. How do we explain that situation? How do we explain the situation in which you have 1.2 billion people living on a continent with all of these resources, and yet we have to go out cap in hand begging for arms? How do we explain that situation? You have a legitimate right to complain. You have a legitimate right to struggle. You have a legitimate right to point out who are responsible for underdevelopment. We are not blaming others. We know that we have to take our destiny into our own hands. We know that Africa would only develop if it unites its people and if it focuses attention on the pursuit of its interests determined by the African people. That's not blaming others. That's standing up for what is rightly ours. One last thing we need to discuss before we end this video is democracy from the Western perspective and from the African perspective. Listening to our guest today speak, it, it, it's very illuminating and it's a breath of fresh air because it's a different perspective. But I've been listening a lot to the president of Rwanda and his take on democracy, human rights and stuff. And he's always very vocal about the fact that the West cannot see any other thing from a perspective that is not their own. But that is not how it works. Even for them, the democracy is, is, is showing them flames, right? It's democracy that put Donald Trump in office. It's democracy that put Biden in office. And now the U.S. is having its own unique set of challenges for having put Biden in office. It's democracy that put the French president in office. And now he's grappling with... um protests everywhere. And so your definition of democracy is not monolithic. It, it shouldn't cut across board for this is what the West says, this is what everybody else should do. We are told that if a country is governed by one party, it's a dictatorship. And that if a country has more political parties, then it's a democracy. But that's a very simplistic way of looking at things. That way only looks at form and not essence. Because you go to the United States of America and you have the Democrats and you have the Republicans. Tell me what is the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. All of them will bomb Iraq. All of them will send troops to Afghanistan. All of them will build institutions that discriminate against black people, that discriminate against Chicanos, that discriminates against Indians and so on. So the fact that you have two parties does not mean that you have options. Two parties does not necessarily mean that they are different. They are two sides of the same coin. So this whole fixation with multi-partyism and single-partyism and so on is, is an attempt to look at form you know, rather than to look at essence. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important that we get away from that. Now, no matter what you say about the Chinese system of government, whether you like it or not, that is not the issue. The issue is, over the last couple of years, China has managed to bring millions of people out of poverty. Over the last couple of years, life expectancy has improved in China. Over the last couple of years, China has become 
Some say the second largest economy in the world. But those who say that China has become the second largest economy in the world are looking at the gross domestic product. There are other indicators which point to the fact that China today is the largest economy in the world. But that is significant because 40 years ago, 50 years ago, China was an agrarian economy with a per capita income of a developing country. What is it that has made it possible for China within a period of 40 years to transform itself into a super industrial country with the largest economy in the world? These are questions that we need to ask. Well, guys, that's all I had for you on this episode. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you enjoyed listening to um, our guest today. And I'll see you again next time. If you like this video, share it, like, comment, and subscribe. I'll see you again next time.